Welcome to season five of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, refreshing and captivating interviews with sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. From Mike Greenberg to Ryan Dempster, Dan McNeil to Sarah Kustak, they reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories some you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow or subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly sponsored by Vienna Beef, home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. And by Dynamic Manufacturing, awarded the General Motors Supplier of the Year 23 times. They can be found at DynamicManufacturingInc.com. This week we feature the voice of the Tampa Rays and longtime Chicagoan Dave Wills. You know, I, I remember when we clinched the game for Grant Bell for and I remember going down into the clubhouse after the celebration was starting to wind down a little bit because we had to handle some of the postgame broadcasting. And all I did was uh, after the hugs of, you know, players and coaches and obviously Joe Madden and our ownership group who were there, I grabbed the Bud Light and I went out to the first base dugout, stood on the railing and just, you know, looked out over U.S. Cellular Field. I think it was still called at that particular time and thought, wow, you know, I'm here for a playoff victory. And it's, you know, it's not the White Sox. It's my team. It's the Tampa Bay Rays. Did you know Dave Wills is an alumnus of Sports Phone, as is yours truly, and a bevy of well-known Chicago media folk? Wills, a native of Oak Lawn, is in his 18th season calling the Rays. He's had the fortune of being behind the mic for two World Series, including one with Joe Madden, and he was once the voice of the Kane County Cougars. A return to Chicago? What? And leave the lovely weather of Tampa? So, Dave Wills, tell me a story I don't know. Well, uh, I once had a girlfriend. Uh, while I was working for Sports Phone and then moved on right after there to the uh, Bruisers and started coaching, who broke up with me because she felt that I didn't have uh, enough of, a, I guess, aspirations to become a broadcaster, a play-by-play -play guy. She said that uh, I wasn't showing enough intestinal fortitude to go after a job. But uh, like I tried to explain to her at the time, these aren't sh uh, you know jobs you show up in the classified ads. They don't uh, just you know land in your lap. And I wasn't really prepared to go to Missoula, Montana, or Pocatello, Idaho, to start my broadcasting career. So, uh, I when I left Sports Phone, I worked for the Chicago Bruisers for a, a season. Had a blast doing that as their director of media relations. Ben Bennett, the quarterback for the Chicago Bruisers, brings him up for the offensive first offensive play of the game from their own five-yard line. Coming around in motion is McDade. Bennett gives it off. Flags fly, and there's a pile up about a yard or two behind the line of scrimmage. When they full, you know, took a suspension for their uh, season, I went back and started coaching baseball at Elmhurst College and then on to the University of Chicago. And it's just kind of funny now that uh, one of the first times that uh, I became the, you know, the fill-in voice of the White Sox and then now the play-by-play -play voice of the Tampa Bay Rays for 18 years, whenever I hear that Toby Keith uh, song, How Do You Like Me Now? You can't <laughs> think a little bit about uh, that uh, old girlfriend, that ex-girlfriend of mine, but uh, it, all, it all works out well. Uh, I've got a tremendous wife and uh, son and daughter. My wife is a huge, huge baseball fan, which is really something you kind of need with this job, being that you're gone as much as you are. So uh, uh, as they say, when one door closes, another one opens. And I was fortunate enough that uh, that did happen to me. Well, you and I both have one thing in common. I also started my career at Sports Phone, and here we are. And it's funny because I began there in 1977. And you began there in 1985. Think of all the people, Dave, who worked there from your boyhood pal, Lou Canellis, 
Mm-hmm. Jeff Joniak, Chris Bowden, Chris Matson, Fred Huber, David Schuster in New York, Gary Cohn, the voice of the Mets. And I know I'm missing a few. Uh, you know, it's just you go down the line. I mean, uh, you know, as you said, uh, you know, first of all, Luke Canellis was the guy who told me about the possibility of some openings at Sports Phone. And, uh, you know, you want to go by a depth chart. I was probably of uh, the 20 to 25 guys that were uh, working at Sports Phone at the time, probably down in that. 20 to 25 guy range. I mean, like you said, you had Chris Bowden working days. Uh, Ed Vucinic was working nights. Uh, you know, uh, he had an up and coming Jeff Joniak who, uh, you know, has become the voice of the Chicago bears for a couple of decades. Now, Luke Canellis is Fox 32. Uh, David Schuster was a guy that I remember calling in as a kid and hearing him along with yourself, Les Grobstein, uh, you know, and then George, uh, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Bill Corbell. You didn't mention Bill Corbell. And yes, uh, you know, Fred Hubner were my two bosses. And then Chris Madsen, who went on to do the uh, the Mighty Ducks for a while, was the guy who actually did hire me. And then a few weeks later, offered me a full-time job. And I know I'm, you know, I'm missing names. Jim Volkman comes to mind. Joe Davis is a guy that uh, yes. I did some games with. As a matter of fact, I did the tape that landed me the Kane County Cougars job. Him and I sat in a catwalk at Wrigley Field in June or July of 1987. It was a Friday doubleheader against the Cardinals. And I did some play-by-play with Joe from that catwalk. And it was before I even knew how to do it. And I really don't know how to do a whole lot of editing now. Uh, but uh, before, I, before I even knew how to do it, the Cougars asked me to send him a tape. Um, and I sent them entire, that entire tape and, and ultimately uh, helped me land that gig. You have a pretty interesting story about Sports Phone and the current voice of the Bears, Jeff Joniak. Third down at 13, farther throw. down as they knocks it out. It's loose to the 40. Bears have it. Bears have taken the ball away from Brett Favre and the Vikings. Tommy Harris recovers, and the Bears have taken one away. Yeah, Jeff and I, uh, you know, again, we, we, were, we were both working weekends, nights. And so Fred Hubner uh, said it's going to come down to you and Jeff Joniak, uh, myself and Jeff Joniak, for the uh, 9 to 5 gig. And so the offer was either the nine to five gig, or you could cover the Super Bowl in San Diego for about 10 days. And I'm 24 years old, uh, single, having a blast. I said, you know what? I, I prefer to go to the Super Bowl. And it worked out, uh, I'd say, pretty well for both of us. But uh, covering the Super Bowl for 10 days in San Diego was quite the trip. It really was. Dan Pompey and I, from uh, at the time, I think he was working for the uh, Sun-Times, we both uh, had a very interesting trip down to Tijuana. And we're both thankful that we were able to get back. Would you care to elaborate on that? <laughs> let's, just, let's just let's just say that uh, you know we we had both had some fun nights leading up to it, and uh, we were on the bus ride from San Diego to T- Tijuana, and they said the last the first buses will start to leave at around eight o'clock. And both Dan and I looked at each other, and I think we were with Don Pearson of the Tribune too, and we're like, you know what, we're both tired. We're probably going to be on one of those buses. And they said, well, if you miss the bus, then the trains start running, and the trains run right to San Ysidro till about 10 30 and then if you miss the the trains well then you got to take a cab back to the border well we missed the bus because we stopped to a few uh, places and had uh, some fun and then uh, we ended up missing the trains and the next thing you know I remember just asking Dan I said hey you still got six or seven bucks for a taxi fare he goes yeah yeah I got it I got it well we left the last establishment with a dollar 42 in our pockets combined and I literally started begging on the street to say you know can I get a dollar from somebody some college kids came walking by us they were walking back to the border and and uh, you know to this day I still believe that I think we walked through somebody's living room and kitchen as a cut through to get to the border and uh, got to San Ysidro got into a cab 
they all pretty much held on to Dan Pompey at the lot, you know, near the lobby of my hotel. So I can go get a traveler's check, cash it and pay the taxi driver and then send him back to the hotel uh, that Dan was staying at. That's one hell of a trip to Tijuana. I'll say that. You appear to be very comfortable in Tampa and what, who would blame you with the weather? But did you have any pangs about coming back to the White Sox, maybe becoming their lead play-by-play voice after doing the pre and post game for a couple of years? Yeah, you know what? I mean, uh, my timing was was off just a little bit. Yeah, I let my last season was 04. Now Sparks checks Norton's lead. Here's the pitch, swinging a line drive, fair down the right field line. Into the corner it goes. Norton around third, he'll score. Here comes Ordonez rumbling around third. He's going to score as well. Cruder racing for third. The throw, safe. And so here I come into 05, uh, first year doing the double race. And, uh, you know, it's Lou Pinella's uh, last season with the team. Ownership's changing. Um, I think it was about the only time where if I look back on my career here, right, may have gotten a little homesick. Uh, we were down in Miami uh, playing in the Citrus Series against the, uh, the Marlins. And, uh, you know, 8,000 people are at uh, Joe Robbie Stadium. And, uh, and, and I just remember checking in with my wife, Liz, and I think she was at the Cubs Sox Series. I don't know if it was at Wrigley or at uh, you know, the cell at the time, but uh, thinking to myself, wow, I can't believe, you know, I just had a moment there. And then, you know, realized, hey, wait a second, I'm still one of only, you know, a handful of guys who are doing this gig out, you know, I got over it. Um, you know, I, I think if you would have asked me right away after the 05 season about uh, coming back to Chicago, but uh, I, I love it here. I really do. I miss my family, my entire family, my wife's entire family still lives in Chicago. But uh, when I left George, I gave uh little heads up to my buddies. I said, you know, I was 40 years old or thereabouts. And I said, uh, I'm getting a 25 year head start. I'm telling you guys where the best early bird specials are and the best happy hours are. <laughs> Hopefully by the time my friends are ready to retire and move down here, I've got all the I's dotted and all the T's crossed. Nicely played. So you leave the White Sox, you go to Tampa, the Rays then dump the Sox in 2008 and route to their first of two World Series appearances. I believe, Dave, you have some karma. Uh, you know, it was just, it was kind of interesting to happen in 08 to, you know, to get the White Sox right then and there. Um, you know, I, I remember when we clinched the game four, Grant Bell four, uh, finished it off. And I remember going down into the clubhouse after the celebration was starting to wind down a little bit because we had to handle some of the postgame broadcasting. And all I did was uh, after the hugs of, you know, players and coaches and obviously Joe Madden and our ownership group who were there, I grabbed the Bud Light and I went out to the first base dugout. And I just sat on the railing, stood on the railing and just, you know, looked out over U.S. Cellular Field. I think it was still called at that particular time and thought, wow, you know, I'm here for a playoff victory. And it's, you know, it's not the White Sox. It's my team. It's the Tampa Bay Rays. And, uh, you know, then we went and played uh, Boston, moved on to the World Series. And, you know, like I said, after that momentary lapse where I thought I was a little homesick, maybe in 05, uh, I, the, the Rays have been absolutely spectacular to me and we've been one of the better teams in major league baseball for the last uh, decade or even more. And so it's been an absolute treat to be able to do what I do. People always talk about how it must be a lot more fun to uh, come to the ballpark now with the Rays winning. I, I try to explain to them what I do beats working for a living. Vienna beef, two words synonymous with hot dogs. They're the home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? 
There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt. And oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballparks, cups and socks, stadiums, museums, and zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online, coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and on Amazon. And remember, Vienna is not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers' chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. You know, we were very fortunate here to work with Joe Madden, who will be legendary, of course, for being the first manager to take the Cubs uh, to a World Series and win in 108 years. But he came out of obscurity, Dave, to manage the Rays, and then two years later to guide them to that World Series appearance. What was it like working for him for all those years? Incredible. Uh, you know, and, and so relaxing and, and just you know, a man that, uh, you know, again, I know a lot of people might think that uh, here's a guy that loves the spotlight and, uh, you know, doesn't, but it, I'm not sure if he loves it, but he just doesn't mind it. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where to, to watch him early on, I really didn't know, we didn't know him at all. I mean, you know, never really heard much about him as a, the Angels bench coach, even though they won the World Series in 2002. And I remember when we hired him, I was just like, this is who we hired. I mean, we, we, we had a chance to make a real big splash. We hired this guy. Joe Madden, Merlo Joe is what a lot of guys are calling him down here around uh, baseball because of the fact that, you know, again, he was a little different. Uh, he, you know, we, we didn't win right away. As a matter of fact, I think in our second half of 2007 on the road, we went three and 33. And uh, it was not a lot of fun uh, that uh, particular season. I just remember thinking one time, I'm like, wow, must be kind of nice to be able to go out there and lose 100 games and still feel pretty secure about your job. But uh, obviously, we were putting a process and a, a new uh, uh, thought process in place and, and getting to know Joe then over those first couple of years. And then into that third year when we uh, you know started making some changes, I just remember being together for a couple of those caravan uh, luncheons early on in the year. And the, you know, some people were saying, Hey, this race team is going to be pretty darn good. Uh, we, we changed our name from the devil race to the Rays. We brought in a few players like Cliff Floyd, Troy Percival. Uh, we brought Dan Wheeler in the year before. Uh, Evan Lagori was coming up. Uh, you know, we had pitchers like Shields and Casimir, and we brought in Garza in a trade, Jason Bartlett in a trade. And a lot of people thought the Rays were going to be a team that might win 85 to 88 games. And I just remember being at a luncheon one time with Joe, and I said, Well, if we're going to win 85 or 88, why don't we just go after 100 then and just make the playoffs? And uh, Joe came up with the nine equals eight uh, mantra for that season, where, uh, you know, again, if you play hard for nine innings and, and for the, you know, the nine months that'll include spring training and uh, the nine guys, we're going to be one of the eight teams that make uh, the postseason. And sure enough, on uh, September 20th, thereabouts, we beat the Minnesota Twins and then we uh, won the division later on. And uh, it was just a magical year. Ground ball to second. Iwamaru's got it. Razor to the World Series. And then just a magical guy. We've become really, really close friends. Uh, I joked with him when he uh, left us and went to the Cubs. Uh, matter of fact, I, I took a picture of me uh, watching the press conference from the Cubby Bear with uh, a Homer bucket from Home Depot in front of me because 
I made it look like I was thrown up the whole time. And uh, Joe <laughs> just laughed throughout it. And then, uh, you know, it, it was funny because we had a game at Wrigley Field where he knew I called the Ivy the weeds on occasion. And we had lost the game because a ball got kind of messed up in there. And a couple of years later, when he was the manager of the Cubs, the Cubs won a game because of that same situation. And he texted me during that and said, love the weeds. And then uh, my daughter went to her first game at Wrigley Field, uh, like one of Joe's first or second years. And she went down to the field, talked with Joe and got some pictures. And Joe just said to her, you know, she said, I know my dad doesn't like it, but I really, really like this place. And he goes, isn't it nice? And then when he was let go, I had texted him uh, when we were getting ready to play the A's in the wild card in 2019. And I had texted him while we were in San Francisco prepping for the game. And I said to Joe, I said, well, I said, if you're good with what's going on, then I'm good with what's going on. From what I've been reading, it's a mutual thing, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I said, but now I don't have to pretend to, you know, like your team anymore. And two seconds later, he's calling me up and he goes, I've gotten a hundred and some texts and messages. He goes, yours made me laugh out loud. I had to call you about that. And then we talked for about 45 minutes about all the goings on. You know, we were mentioning uh, Tropicana Field. And of course, you well know that the White Sox threatened to move there in 1988. But Jerry Reinsdorf got his way and got a new stadium built on the south side. So the Rays have a pretty good first year. I think they drew two and a half million, but attendance dropped dramatically after that. You know it's been the source of plenty of derision because of what appears to be a gloomy nature of the building, its low attendance figures. But there's a reason for that, isn't there? And aren't the Rays trying to get themselves a new stadium? We're working on it. We've been working on it for a long, long time. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's been uh, you know, something that I'm sure some people are getting tired of hearing about, uh, uh, just like the situation out there in Oakland. Uh, but uh, the ownership group, Stu Sternberg and company, have poured tens of millions of dollars into the place to really make it as uh, nice as it possibly can be. But the bottom line is, I think, and again, it's just my opinion, it's just not in the best position for this area. Uh, the Tampa Bay area includes St. Petersburg, Tampa, Clearwater, and it continues to grow east towards Orlando and north into Pasco County, which includes towns like Lando Lakes and Wesley Chapel. And then you go out even in East uh, Tampa and you've got Brandon and Del Rico. That's where all the moms, the dads, the Wallies and the Beavers live. That's where the, the families are that would be coming to our games I think a little more often if the ballpark was on the Tampa side. Um, I think that if we find a, a more centrally located area, you draw a 30 minute circle around Tropicana field. It's about two thirds water. Um, you get a little more centrally located, maybe more on the Tampa side, whether it's in Ybor city where we've been focusing on right now to make it more of a, an urban like setting, or you go a little further West and you go to this area that uh, is uh, right there where I four and I 75 come together. Uh, I, I think it, it would bring in the places like Wesley Chapel, Brandon, Valrico, Lakeland, Orlando, more into play, which means more money and more people or more people and more money. And uh, I think that's what, what would help this franchise not only, uh, again, survive, but in, in all honesty, I think it would thrive because of the amount of people that continue to move into this area. But uh, moving the ballpark to where the people are, it worked for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, they moved that ballpark, what, like 12 to 15 miles? And it's made a huge difference. I think the same could be said for the Rays if they were able to do something like that. It's interesting to note that you have worked with the same uh, partner in Andy Freed. And in the television booth, there's a fellow named Dwayne Stats, who used to do the Cubs 
a long time ago. I believe he's been with the Rays since their inception. Tyler Glass now, he gets a great hand. Wow, the runner at third. Phillips, line drive, in the right, and the Rays win it. Brett Phillips walks it off. Wow, scores, and it's a 3-2 final. Yeah, he is the original broadcaster for the Rays. Uh, he's been there uh, since 1998. I love the fact that our ownership group and our front office, at least to this point, really loves continuity in the booth. Uh, you know, one of the things that my broadcast partner, Andy Freed, who is, uh, I think, the best partner in baseball, uh, we get along tremendously. We, we you know, it's, we found out that uh, over the years and watching some of the other guys and gals, that uh, it's a long season and it can be a small booth if you don't like the person that you're doing the games with. And uh, um, I love being there with Andy. So we're ready to go here on this Tuesday night. Rays looking for their fifth straight win and trying to continue what has been a really, really good start to this 2019 season. And they call the play-by-play for the first couple of innings tonight. Here's my broadcast partner, Andy Free. All right, Dave, thank you very much, and good evening to you from St. Petersburg. Blake Snell has to be anxious a bit, getting back to the hill after the opening day loss. You know, we, we share a lot of uh, things with uh, one another that, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if a lot of other broadcasters do. And we even kind of say that once the season starts, it seems like we spend more time together awake with each other than we do with our wives. And uh, I think right now there might be only one or two other uh, uh, groups of broadcasters who have been on the radio side together longer than Andy and I. And, uh, and then, you know, obviously, like you said, Dwayne's been there since day one. So it's been a nice, uh, comfortable run. And as Andy always says, we just try to be good company. And, uh, and that's what we try to be. And we've been able to do that now for uh, now our 18th season. Want to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know? It's easy. Just follow me on social media, at George Offman. That's O-F-M-A-N. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please follow or subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Let's go back in time, Dave, to growing up in Oakland. You went to uh, kindergarten with the aforementioned Lou Canellis, who's also been a guest on this podcast. So let's be transparent. Who was better looking then? <laughs> well, maybe in kindergarten, I might lean toward Lou. And then I would think that uh, for a while there, uh, I, I probably uh, took over for a while. I think from uh, high school through college, I think I'd have to take the, uh, I might have taken over for a bit, you know, Lou. Uh, he might kill me if I tell him this story, but one of my favorite Lou Canella stories was I think we were in eighth grade 
and uh, we, we either got done with basketball practice or watched a volleyball game or something at our school. And he asked this girl out and I'll leave her name out for confidential good, good reasons uh, and legal reasons. Yes. And uh, so, <laughs> yeah, he asked her out and she said yes. And so then we he's all pumped up and we're walking back to his house and he lived the, the school was at like 99th and Costner. He lived at uh, 96th and Colmar. And then I lived about two blocks away at 96th and Knox. And by the time I dropped, you know, left him at his corner and walked to my house, he called me up and said she broke up with him. <laughs> so uh, it, it was the shortest uh, romance that I've ever, ever been a part of. And, uh, I, you know, again, I'm, to this day, I don't know why she broke up with him or why she even said yes. But it, it, I, I think that's my favorite Luke and Ella story is that he asked a girl to go out with him in eighth grade. And by the time he walked home, uh, 10 minutes later, she had already broke up with him. But yeah, Lou and I have known each other, you know, again, through uh, grammar school. We went to the same high school, Oak Lawn High School together, uh, played baseball in the, uh, uh, the, the sophomore and uh, varsity team for a couple of years together. And I played basketball all four, year, four years while I was there. And then uh, he went on to Loyola. I went on to Elmhurst College. We hooked up again right after college or our last year of college and lived together downtown for a couple of years. As a matter of fact, there was a name that I left out it was uh, Lou and I and Brian Wheeler. Who oh, yeah. And, uh, and worked on uh, the Portland Trailblazers broadcast for a number of years. We shared an apartment at Division of LaSalle for two years and uh, had a blast. <laughs> Maybe too much fun doing that. So, I was going to I was going to suggest to you that must have been a terrible trio. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It, <laughs> it, it, it had, we had we had our fair share of fun. I said it knocked off a few years of my life financially and probably literally from the, the things that we did. But, uh, you know, again, uh, Lou's, Lou's been a good friend. My brother helped run his parents' cleaners for a number of years. And uh, uh, matter of fact, uh, you know, just again, uh, love, love seeing how, how th th things have turned out for Lou. Finally got married, uh, finally had his uh, beautiful daughter, uh, Gia, and I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for him. And uh, I'm just kind of interested to see. I want to be in that car when uh, she turns 16 years old. And I think I did the math and Lou's going to be about 70 or 72. I want to see how all that goes when uh, he's trying to teach her how to drive at that age. So do I. Back, <laughs> back then, did you dream of being what you are today? I think back then, both of us probably thought we were going to be, uh, you know, Lou is going to be a, a, the next, uh, uh, you know, Chicago Cub or Chicago White Sox baseball player. And I thought at that time, I loved basketball. I really did. And I, I thought maybe I'd become a, you know, a basketball player, but then I just stopped growing at about six one, And, you know, and then found out too that, uh, I was a little better at baseball in college than I was at basketball. But, you know, it, it was funny because I had some neighbors come up to me and say that they that who, who lived right next door to me after I got the job with the, the Devil Rays, they said, I'm not surprised. You know, you used to sit out front and when you guys played wiffle ball, you'd be doing the play by play of that wiffle ball game or you'd be playing catch with yourself off a wall between the houses and I could you could hear yourself. You know, you know, saying what a great catch or, here, you know, here goes the fly ball or whatever. So, uh, you know, I, when you grow up in Chicago and, you know, I'm sure you can back this up, George. What a great group of play by play announcers we had as kids. I mean, I, you know, I think back to hockey and I was such a big Blackhawk fan and listening to Lloyd Pettit and then eventually, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Pat Foley. But I remember listening to Lloyd Pettit and I'm thinking to myself, how does he know who all these guys are? to Marat, Hawks zone, Martin now at his blue line, leading to Dennis Hall at the center line, Dennis Hall to the blue line, takes a check from Harris, and Harris has the puck off the near board. Now center ice play for Dennis Hall, Dennis Hall off the skate of Jimmy Pappen, deflects to Roy Edwards, and he clears it off the near board. Dennis Hall's slap shot is wide to the left. And in my mind, 
I kept on thinking, you know what I think happens? I think before the game, they walk up to him and tell him who he is. I'm number two, Bill White. I'm number three, Luan Gott. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, I'm number, you know, I'm number, I'm number six, I'm, you know, I'm number seven, Pitt Martin. I'm number eight, Jim Pappen. I'm number nine, Bobby Hall. You know, I, that's how I thought he knew who the guys were. I'm, you know, six or seven years old, wondering how he knows who they are and listening to, to Lloyd Pettit. And then, you know, obviously Jack Brickhouse, you get home uh, from school and listen to him do some games and then fell in love with Harry Carey and Jimmy Pearsall. Here comes the throw, but now watch the runner. Boy, this look is remarkable. Look at this. I got to do a few games when I was in Kane County with Jimmy Pearsall and it's uh it was incredible had a blast doing with him Jim Durham uh as uh you know again doing basketball I didn't think there was anybody better uh than than Jim Durham I'm, I only no, can I can I I want to interrupt you because you are you're you're telling me stories of exactly the way I grew up feeling the same way about all of these people including Jim Durham, who I think was arguably the best ever. I mean, there are, look, you've got choices here. Harry and Jimmy, that will never be replicated as long as we live. Uh, Jack Brickhouse is part of the reason why I do this, Brent Musburger. But JD, Jim Durham, was so good that you could be driving in your car and you thought you were watching the game on the radio. Devon scoops it out to Perkins, 15-footer, no good at the foul line. Bulls have it, Cartwright the rebound. Scotty Pippen off to Jordan, 3.38 left. Michael Jordan into the front court. On the drive, right of the lane, in deep, left corner, Paxson. He comes up shooting again. Book it! John Paxson sticks another one. Pax with 14, and the Bulls have a four-point lead. Absolutely, and, and you were at the game. I mean, you know, the rimming no and you know <laughs> the, the you know and you know and then he puts in the silencer you know and it yes. was just all those things and uh you know just like i said how sp spoiled were we that that was our group of announcers you know even uh you know on, on the football side uh, you know obviously we had jack and her cups in it for a while there but you know then joe mcconnell took over and then uh, joe mcconnell was fabulous you know and and then i remember you know so all those guys were there so you know, you, I kept on, you know, having the like thought process where as much as I loved what was going on down on the ice, down on the court, on the field, I always kind of would take a peek and see what those guys were doing in the booth. And uh, I remember, you know, again, going to games at, at Comiskey and going to games at Wrigley when I would cover the, the, the games for sports phone. And I'd walk by those broadcast booths and look in them and be like, one of these days, maybe just one of these days. And I remember doing some, uh, PA in a little league game uh, where I grew up. I was probably 14 years old. So wasn't 18, you know, and, and wasn't playing, but it was for 10, 11, and 12 year olds. And I remember doing a few innings of play by play or not play by play, but public address. And uh, another moment where, you know, an adult comes in and says, you're not old enough to be up here. You know, you got to get out of here. And, and, you know, then whatever, 10 years ago, I'm walking by that same little league field. I wanted to go knock on, you know, that president's door and say, Hey, uh, you want me to go do an inning now? You know, so, uh, you know, just having a little fun with them in that regard, but just something about being able to talk about the game. And, and then Harry, like, you know, Harry and Jimmy just made it sound like it was just a one big party. Uh, you know, obviously, like you said, I don't think that's ever going to happen again. You know, the ripping on the umps, ripping on the, you know, whatever's going on down in the game, but how about ripping on, how about ripping on Lamar Johnson? <laughs> Remember that? I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy would look at Harry and go, Hey, Harry, He's fat. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Did you just say that? How can a guy so big 
It's so little. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. All that stuff. And, you know, it's just, uh, you know, just, you know, I, I, you know, you asked me to look up some White Sox highlights and I was able to scramble and find a couple of them. And I think one of them, uh, I, I called that Mike Cameron home run that uh, he did. He walked off and I thought to myself, man, I, I had like a Harry Carey moment in that call. I'm all pumped up about how happy and how great it was that Mike Cameron just walked it off and gave the White Sox a win. But I had to drop in. He was absolutely brutal in three other at-bats, but then homers in his final at-bat. But, uh, you know, I, the, the games I did with Jimmy Pearsall, didn't even know he was coming to a game. And uh, he, he came to a game when we were playing the Cubs affiliate and he comes into the booth and I'm like, whoa, Jimmy Pearsall. And he comes and he sits down and he starts doing a game. We got the San Diego chicken uh, performing on the field. And I'm thinking, all right, here's an old school guy that probably can't stand seeing a mascot on the field. But first of all, before we get to the game, he, he starts talking to me and he said, hey, Dave, I listened to you last night. I'm thinking, oh, cool. He goes, you got to settle down. He goes, I'm listening to you last night. I'm laying in bed. I wanted to go to bed early. And you're yelling in the first inning and you're going crazy in the second inning. And you're, uh, you know, you, you almost knocked me out of bed in the fourth inning. You know, Harry told me, you got to build up to it. You, you're going to wear yourself out, but you're going to wear the listener out. And he gave me some really, really good advice about broadcasting games. And that just matter of like 15 minutes before we went on the air. And then we went on the air. I, I don't think I was ever as nervous as I've ever been, you know, getting ready to have to dump them. Because the things he would say, you know, in between things, that guy's your top prospect. He couldn't throw my mother out. And this guy is blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, this is all during the break. And then as soon as we go on the air, he stopped. And he was tremendous. And then, like I said, we had the chicken in tow. And the chicken's doing things over there at first base. And I'm like, you know, the one-two pitch on its way to Godwin. It's fouled off out of play. He goes, look at him. Ha! He's got a picture of Farrah Fawcett. He's trying to distract the hitter. Ah, that's great. That's awesome. The one-two pitch again fouled off. Next one on its way. Hey, check that out. He's got a poster of a fat broad. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, uh, but he was awesome. And he came back and he did a few more games with me at Kane County. He would come a couple times a year. And then, on uh, unfortunately, on the day that Harry passed, Bruce Levine and I were doing a, a look back at Harry kind of tribute. And uh, even though he worked for the other radio station while we were on ESPN or AM 1000, he was doing things at the time for the score. He came on the air with us. And uh, before he said goodbye, he passed along some great compliments to me for making it to the big leagues and, and doing what I'm doing. And, and it's always, that always meant a lot to me coming from Jimmy Purcell. It really did. Did you know General Motors 2021 Supplier of the Year is located in Hillside, Illinois? Dynamic Manufacturing not only remanufactures transmissions for the likes of GM, but also as a state-of-the-art facility. Its capabilities include engineering new or existing products, along with manufacturing, machining, logistics, and re-energizing used batteries for electric cars and energy storage systems. I've seen their operation firsthand, and their nearly 1 million square feet of operating space is extremely impressive. Dynamic was founded by the late, great John Partipillo in 1955 and is still family-owned and operated by the next generation. For more information about Dynamic Manufacturing, visit their website at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. Dynamic Manufacturing. Honor the legacy. Pioneer the future. You're like me, like anybody else. When you're younger, you get a lot of early jobs, odd jobs, worked at a number of restaurants, though apparently 
you may have honed your career at places like Barnaby's and Taco Bell. Tell me a story I don't know. All right. Well, you know, I was at Barnaby's and Barnaby's back in the day at 111th and Cicero, uh, you would you would pretty much fill out your order and you would bring it up to the desk or up to the cashier. And then the pizza guys would make the pizzas, the hamburger and beef guy would make the other stuff. And then when your order was ready, you you you, know, you wrote down your table number and it was pizza pickup number 34, table 34, your pizza's ready. And so I got it to go on the mic and do that a lot of times because I was working on the pizza side. So, you know, we had joke around and be like, you know, pizza pickup table number 42, 42, your pizza's ready. And people would come up and say, wow, you got a great voice. You think ah. like a broadcaster. And, and at the end of the night when nobody's in there, uh, you know, we, then we start joking around. I would do some fake play by play or fake public you know, address to make it sound like a batter's coming up or whatever. And so just joking around doing it on the mic there. And then same thing at Taco Bell when I was working in college, as a shift manager, uh, you know, it's after 9.30 or 10 o'clock after we closed during the week and a car would go up through the drive-thru and they'd be in the drive-thru and I'd be like, thank you for visiting the Villa Park Taco Bell. We are currently closed, so please come back tomorrow. We open at 11 a.m. Thanks again for visiting the Taco Bell in Villa Park. And they just would <laughs> make it sound like it was reporting and uh, just, you know, kind of had a little fun with the microphone even when I wasn't calling sports. And uh, I guess it, it made me a heck of a lot more comfortable. It allowed me to get comfortable with the mic. So when you got the play-by-play -play bug, you know, it really hit you. And, and But it started with a fellow who passed away here before his time, and that was Les Grobstein. Wow. I mean, Les, Les was a guy that, you know, was everywhere. I mean, you know, I, I worked with Les uh, when I was with the Chicago Bruisers. He did the play-by-play -play, uh, for, for the Bruisers. And, uh, you know, I was, the, like I said, the PR slash uh, communi uh, communications director. So worked with Les at home games, on road games. Uh, uh, you know, got to know him even before that, though, working for the uh, Chicago Radio All-Stars. And, uh, you know, and then did some other things and would, would, you know, Les would let you know if there was maybe one of his gigs that wasn't available. Did some games with him uh, for UIC. I was his partner for a couple of years at uh, UIC uh, doing hockey and then uh, followed in his footsteps as the UIC basketball play-by-play -play guy. And, uh, and, and even at Kane County, um, I remember him coming in. I got hired. Uh, you want to talk about kind of a crazy thing. When I, I was coaching at the University of Chicago in 1990, and I really liked it. I, I was 25 years old, uh, liked coaching baseball, uh, led the team to 15 wins. We were 15 and 20, but we beat you know some Division II teams. We held our own against uh, Notre Dame and uh, you know, did pretty well. I mean, they had never won 15 games before. And I thought, all right, I want to stay in coaching. And they said, well, you're going to have to go back, back and get your master's. Well, that was a hurdle. I don't know if I was ready to jump, but I thought, you know what, maybe if I get a guy in professional baseball to be a reference on my resume, I might be able to, you know, circumvent that whole thing. So I called my old pitching coach. He was a manager in Wausau, Wisconsin. Mike Young is his name. He grew up in the Chicago area, uh, played baseball, I think up in Wisconsin collegiately, and then went all through Europe and kind of bounced around and played for different countries and teams over in Europe and ultimately landed in uh, Australia was coaching baseball in Australia during our winters, which is their summer. And then coming over to the States and coaching baseball during our summers, which was their winters. And so I called him up, said, would you be a reference on my resume? And he said, no, hmm. I said, well, I said, Mike, you know, you were my pitching coach. I did everything you wanted me to do. I said, come on. He goes, no, I want you to get back out, back into broadcasting, get out of coaching get back into broadcasting. So he was the guy who told me to send 
the tape into the Kane County Cougars. And next, I applied for the uh, Chicago Wolves job that, you know, again, Judd Surratt was yeah. doing. Uh, Judge Surratt had, had taken the UIC gig following Chris Madsen to work with Les. And then it came down, I think, to Judd and I for the Chicago Wolves job. And I, I was interviewing with Wayne Mesmer, and Wayne said, well, you know, if we give you this job, you'd have to quit the Cougars. And I'm like, well, I think we can do both. And uh, he said, nah, you'd have to be a full-time guy with us. And I'm like, well, you know, I know we're, what we can do on the baseball side. I know you guys are going to probably be pretty good on the hockey side, but right now I'm going to stick with baseball. So, uh, you know, it kind of worked out. But, yeah, Les, was, Les was, was great for me. I mean, you know, he was always – Les Grobstein was an idol, I mean, for me. As a kid growing up, 19, in the late 70s, listening to Larry Lujak and uh, little Tommy and listening to Les do the sports and going to the World Series with the Pirates and the Orioles and being in those different places. And, and then when he would call into the to sports phone – the feed tape, he never acted like a bigwig. He never acted like, you know, a guy that, it, it, like him probably could have acted if he wanted to. And uh, uh, he will always be near and dear in my heart. And I think the thing that I'm taking with me that, that gives me a little solace here is that over these last handful of years when we not only stayed friends, but we became Facebook friends, is that I saw that there was a life with of, for less outside of sports. Mm-hmm. I saw him and his you know, partner going to places like Cancun and on vacation and doing different things and going to nice restaurants. And so that made me feel good. And, uh, you know, despite what recently happened. So you did the Cougars for five years. How did you get your break with the White Sox? Uh, probably once again, through Lou, uh, Lou was working, I think at the time of the, at the, as the WMAQ uh, radio sports director. And, uh, after the, during the 94 season, uh, he had wondered if I would come over and maybe do weekend pregame postgame and then host this show called White Sox Weekly. And so the, the, the Cougars thought, well, that's a pretty good gig. You know, our main play-by-play guy is going to be, could be doing the White Sox on the weekend. It's a pretty good exposure for us too. So the Cougars were good with it. So I would do Kane County Monday through Friday and then uh, come back from wherever I was at and do the White Sox Saturday and Sunday. And sometimes if we were home and the White Sox were home, I do the Cougars during the day and then do the White Sox at night and vice versa. So uh, we'd do both, but uh, did the White Sox pregame, postgame and White Sox weekly shows uh, in 94 until the strike hit. And then in 95, when they restarted play. And then in 1996, uh, prior to that, uh, I went out to lunch a couple of times with uh, John Rooney and, uh, you know, John lived out in Naperville, not too far from where Kane County was. And, you know, it's just a fact finding lunch. I, I'd never really met him until, uh, you know, even doing those games, I always did him from the studio. So I never really got a chance to meet him much. And then uh, about a year and a half later, was getting ready to set up the same thing. And he said, I know where you're calling. And I said, well, yeah, just to have lunch with him. He said, no, Ken Korak just got the Oakland A's job. And I said, well, I, I had no idea. And he said, well, we're moving over to AM 1000 WMVP. He said, uh, here, send your tape to this guy, do this, do that. And lo and behold, uh, I was hired to do uh, White Sox pregame, postgame, and then fill in for John Rooney. And for the first three or four years while he was doing uh, CBS Radio and Fox, I think I was doing like 30 to 40 games a year. It was great. So you tried to get a job in Kansas City. That didn't work out. Then you apply for the Rays job, and this is not what you would call your run-of-the-mill applications. No, the, the, the Royals job, you know, was not at the end of the 97 season, and uh, – you know, applied for it, got a call, went out to Kansas City, met with uh, their broadcasting coordinator, the, the sports director, the program director, the radio station, uh, had lunch at Royal Stadium. 
met with a few more people there. And as we were driving back from uh, the ballpark, the program director is telling me, uh, you got a you know one-year-old daughter. Well, you're probably going to want to live in this area because uh, she's going to want to go to this school and you're going to want to go over here. And it's close to the airport. It's close to the ballpark. And honestly thought I had the gig. <laughs> uh, get back home and about a week later, get the phone call. And the guy goes, well, you uh, you got the silver medal. Um, Ryan Lefevre's got a little more uh, name recognition. His dad played in the big leagues. And Ryan's a great guy and he's a great announcer. And he's been there ever since. So he must be doing something right too. And Ryan's one of my all-time favorites. So Ryan beat me out. I got the silver medal, but stayed with the White Sox for a few years. And then in 04, in December of 04, I got a phone call from Mitch Rosen, who now uh, runs the score. And he was doing some quasi uh, agent work at the time. And I guess he had been in touch with John Brown, who had been with the White Sox, who was now with the Devil Rays. And John was inquiring about some uh, guys who might want to apply for the Devil Rays job. And so my name came up. Uh, I remember Mitch calling me. We were in Wilmington, North Carolina, I think it was, because we were having a weekend with UIC basketball where we were playing UNC Wilmington on a Saturday, and then I think Duke on a Monday or you know something like that. And so this is early December. They called me up and they said, uh, Dave, we'd like you to apply for the Devil Rays job. I said, all right, well, let me think about it. And so this was, like I said, December 3rd or 4th, and uh, and, and played, did the games, came back to Chicago, spent the week, and then I just thought to myself, you know what, These are one, there's only 30 of these gigs in the world, and, you know, I know the Devil Rays aren't a great team right now, and the other thing that was leaning on me, though, is that my wife and I had just purchased a house in Orland Park that was three blocks from her older sister, three blocks from her younger sister, and a mile from her mom, and before, you know, anybody starts joking, well, aren't you dying to get out of that area? I, I loved her, her. Her mom was, if every mother-in-law was like her mom, there wouldn't be mother-in-law jokes. And, uh, and then mm. her two sisters are, are tremendous. And so uh, we, we took this house, we knocked it down to the studs and we built it back up to all of our specifications. And I remember my brother-in-law, who's the builder working with me on it. He kept on saying, Dave, are you going to be here for two years or are you going to be here for 30 years? And I said, Tom, we, we're not moving. This is our dream house. And so everything we did was the plan to be there for 30 years. So finally move in in early October. And now this is December and I'm hearing about the Devil Ray job. So like I said, I sat in it for a week, finally sent it in. And I, I probably late, turned out it was late. And I, I heard the story later on that they had just convened their group and had lowered the number from 300 tapes down to the final 10 when that group broke up. And about five minutes later, the mail guy came walking by and said, Hey, uh, you know, I think this is for you. It might be another CD. And out of the kindness of this guy's heart, he popped it in the CD machine and listened for a couple minutes. And then he called the group back together real fast and said, I think you guys might want to listen to this because uh, I think he's as good as the final 10 that we have here. And sure enough, I became the, the 11th of the final 10 and then went in for the interview. And uh, it was a day where I had, left Chicago after doing a UIC game on a Thursday night where like two inches of snow was coming down on a Friday land in Tampa. It's 75 degrees and sunny. Uh, I'm thinking about mid, mid December or mid January it was, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is nice. And then come back to Chicago Friday night and I'm in a car driving up to green Bay in a whiteout the next morning uh, with my partner, Dick Nagy. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't think they have to worry about this in Florida. So it took about a week or 10 days to finally get the call back from the uh, from the Devil Rays, but I remember 
getting the call on February 1st. It was uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. I was vacuuming my family room, answered the phone. They offered me the gig. I drove out to uh, Grandstand, which is near now, uh, what's it called? Guaranteed rate. And uh, went to Grandstand. They were always a big sponsor of mine. And I said, you got a double race jacket, a double race hat. And they did. Grabbed it, told them what happened. Drove to my wife's office and walked into her office with a double race hat and a double race jacket. And uh, she said, you're being a bit presumptuous, aren't you? I said, nope, I got the job. And uh, she started crying and cried, I think, for most of the most of the rest of the day because she wasn't ready to move. But uh, mm. after everything kind of worked out and after coming down here a couple of times in February to look for housing, I remember one time pulling into our garage and on the park and she looked at the snowblower and the shovels and she said, uh, I guess we're not going to need those again. And uh, that's when I knew she was, no pun intended, warming up to the idea. And now, honestly, um, if I were to ever, you know, like you mentioned about going back to the White Sox, not that that'll ever happen, but uh, she kind of jokingly once said, if that did ever happen, you'd have to go without me because uh, I, I don't think I'd ever get her out of here. Well, you know, after hearing that story, I have a good notion of mailing you a very large shovel. <laughs> well, I can always use it to... Uh, Move around a little dirt or something. Yeah, yeah. Really, thanks a lot. I ask this final question to all my guests, Dave. If not for being a play-by-play announcer, what would you have been? Well, I, I, I was a double major at Elmhurst College. I was a major in speech communications and also in urban studies. Uh, so I, I don't know. I probably would have, like I said, uh, would have leaned a little more toward the uh, urban planning, uh, you know, city manager kind of thing or... Uh, you know, thought a little bit about teaching for a bit as well, but I wouldn't have been surprised if I would have done uh, something like that. Well, I think you've made Tampa proud, but I also believe you've made Chicago just as proud. Thank you, Dave Wills, for telling me a story I don't know. You're welcome, and thanks for having me. My thanks to WSCR Radio, the late and great Bruisers Television Network, and the late and great Channel 44. ESPN Radio, the Tampa Rays Radio Network, and the Tampa Rays Television Network, TNT, WGN Radio, and NBC Sports for those wonderful highlights. My thanks as always to TJ Reeves for being a guiding force behind this podcast, Will Hatzel for his expert editing and mixing, and Nick Tochi for our excellent graphics. And to our wonderful sponsors, Dynamic Manufacturing and Vienna B for their generous support. Tune in next week for another episode of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote.